Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Barbara Vera Cruz is a life coach. After surviving stage four skin cancer at the age of 32, she decided to live her second life to the fullest. After running a construction business for 18 years, Barbara now dedicates herself to her true passion, guiding people through deep transformations. Barbara, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Yes, thank you, Andrea. It's a joy and a pleasure to be here. I feel honored to be, to be asked to share my story. I am so excited to have you. Before I hit record, <laughs> I was like, where are we go? Construction business. Like, I don't know. It's so interesting. Um, but do take us back to stage four melanoma, age 32, what happened, you know, when you, how did you even get diagnosed? Let's start there. Yes. And um, that's, that's quite a story. In 2003, on January 24th, our youngest son is, was born. So he, he just turned 18. And during the delivery, the gynecologist was looking at my knee and he was like, oh, that's a weird black spot on your knee. But he didn't say anything more. And, you know, I was having my uh, third <laughs> child. <laughs> so we didn't think about it anymore. Had, had you and noticed the spot? I noticed the spot. Okay. And after um, my son was born in those first weeks, the spot kept on like leaking and a little bleeding, but not much. And I just put like, a, um, how do you call it? A plaster on it? Something on it to cover it. Okay. Just like a little antibiotic ointment or yes, something? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, well, um, I was running a construction business and Jean-Baptiste was my third child in four years. So you can imagine what a hectic life that was. You were busy. So, <laughs> extremely busy. And my, my husband, who is a lawyer, was also combining that with being the salesperson in my, in my business. So he was doing two jobs. I was doing the business and three kids. Um, so that black spot on my knee was never of any concern until Two months later, while I came out of the shower, my husband said, honey, that doesn't, just doesn't look right. And I'm like, oh my God, it's just a little black spot. Don't exaggerate. <laughs> my husband tends to be very uh, concerned for all the people around him. And I'm like, don't worry, don't worry. And he says, yes, yes, you have to go and see the doctor. And I, I, I really was like, I was dismissing it. And he was like, Okay, honey, if you don't call, I'm going to call. So finally, end of March, I'm going to the doctor. And he's like, not worried. He's like, no problem. We will call the hospital. They will just cut it away and send it um, um, uh, to, to look at further um, 
So I went to hospital, the plastic surgeon cut it out and he was like, we're going to send it. Normally all will be fine, don't worry. So on the 7th of April, it's a date I will never forget, on the 7th of April, on a Monday morning, I'm in the office. It was around 8.30, 8.45. Um, and I get a call. Well, here it's Dr. Van der Putte, and I, I couldn't remember who that was. I was like, <laughs> who are you? That was, a, that was a plastic surgeon that I had seen for like 15 minutes. And only but the I, one time, right? That, only the one time. So I didn't remember his name. And he was like, oh, um, okay, Mrs. Vercruz, I would like you to come to the hospital right now. I was like, no way. I'm in the office. It's, it's busy. Um, he says, look, mom, he says, it's serious. Um, we got the results. It's a melanoma and it is very deep. Um, you have to come right now with your husband. I was like, melanoma? No, 18 years ago, melanoma? I never heard of the word melanoma. And he says, well, it's skin cancer. So the word, you know, like the cancer word, I was like, okay. But I was like more not believing it. Like I was not ill. I didn't feel anything. And I was just diagnosed with skin cancer. So I called my husband. He's got, we go together to the hospital. And there he said like, okay, this doesn't look good. You're staying right now for the tests. So I had to stay a week for tests. And the next Monday, they, I was already um, scheduled to have my first surgery and they were cutting away a large part on my knee wow. and taking one, bio, uh, one lymph knot in my leg um, to see if there was any um, metastasis there. So that was on a Tuesday, they did the surgery, that went all well. And Saturday, which was Easter Saturday, the doctor comes in and he says, Barbara, I haven't got any good news for you today. Oh, and I'm like, okay. Chills, Barbara. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, just shoot, say it. Well, we did the biopsy and the lymph nodes. They are all you know, like the lymph nodes that right. we took out. So it's Easter Saturday. We want you to come back next Tuesday because we have to take out all of your lymph nodes and then start chemo, um, chemotherapy uh, very quickly. You have to know that's 18 years ago. They didn't know so well how to treat skin cancer. Right. So they, yeah. they were really in a phase. Um, I was 32. So we were married for five years. We had a business for five years. My oldest was three years and a half. My second was two years and a half. My youngest was a few weeks old. Oh, Barbara. And um, the first night, you know, like with my first surgery, the first night in hospital was the first time since the birth of my children that I was without kids. So that was like the most strange feeling. Like nobody, you know, like nobody yelling for mom or nobody, you know, and having that physical, you know, with little children, the babies, right. the toddlers, that's very physical. You put them into bath, to bed. Um, no so crying. Yes, I was alone and staring at the ceiling and I just started crying. I was like, I miss them. I miss them so much. And then 
immediately, I don't know if it was some kind of self-preservation, I immediately went, okay. My two eldest, uh, the, the girls were with my parents. They are surrounded with love and care where they are. They have no clue where mommy is. Mm. They don't miss me at that moment. <laughs> they're just feeling like they're on a holiday. But they're grandparents. My youngest, who was only two months old, he was with my um, parents-in-law. He has no clue either. He's surrounded with love and care. So I say, okay, Barbara, stop the tears. This won't help you. And immediately I made that mind shift. What will help me right now? Mm. And I knew there was one thing. There was one thing that I had control over. And it was my thoughts. I just, you know, like it was like some kind of commitment to myself. I will not allow any negative thought in my head. I simply will not allow it. When I had my second surgery, I was practically told I had six more months. They told me like, okay, we're going to try the chemo. And even then, I was like, okay, if these are my last six months, I would rather spend them in positivity and joy than in negativity and depression. And the funny thing was, Andrea, that at first, especially right after the diagnosis, I had to cheer up everybody around me. <laughs> you know, my parents who were the age that I have now, early 50s, um, crying all of the time. My husband, he was lost. He, he saw himself ending up as a widower with right. three young children, with a business that he didn't, you know, like I was the business owner. He just helped me in the business with a business that had lots of investments. And that was just, you know, like getting out of, of the red figures. So he, the first three weeks, he was completely lost. When I was in hospital, I had also many, many, you know, like the number of people who come to visit you when you had your first surgery. And many came, like even high school friends, like they came in the room, they started crying. So after one day, I had to tell my husband, so if you let anyone in the room, you just tell them, no tears in the room. I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead. Yep. So because that feeling like people coming and starting to cry, it was as, as if they was, were coming to say goodbye. Yeah. So, and I didn't want that. I was not dead. I, you know, and I have to say after the surgeries, I was still in, in quite, you know, like a normal health shape. I didn't realize how far the cancer was, but I felt it was only when the chemo started. Of course, the visits became a lot less and, and, and that was okay because I was just too ill. I was right. just so, so ill. Um, Were you but, inpatient during the chemo? Were you, did, did you go in the hospital to have the chemo and you were kind of going home in between? Yes, going home in between because it was the first month was every day. And then I had for 11 months, once a week. Mm. So, um, but even when it was every day, um, uh, it was in, in and out and, and I came home. Okay. Um, and my dad insisted that he would bring me because my husband had to take care of, bring me every day. And that was quite some, you could say, special memories I have of that time. 
and not because I was not so talkative, because if, you know, like with the chemo, your, your body is really, um, but just him being there. And that is something that I realized so profoundly when you are with someone who is like in, whether it's deep grief or they are very ill, words are never necessary. Yeah. It's the presence. Yeah. And that's something that really struck me like, whoa, just my dad being here, he was just reading his newspaper, you know, like in a corner in the room. And I was say, sitting there with, you know, like the Baxter uh, going on. And, um, and I was always, you know, like when he drove me home, I was always so, so sick. And then I, I just could sleep. And, um, but even what it did make me realize, and I think this sounds so cliche, <laughs> But our health is such a gift. Um, oh. when, when you have been very ill and you have like felt like you're 80 or 90 years old because your body just cannot move almost anymore. You know, like even getting up the stairs, I couldn't put the clothes from my kids. So I couldn't, I didn't have any strength in, in me. Um, I always looked for what I could still do, but then I was... After that, I realized so much, oh my God, we take our health so much for granted. Oh yeah, oh absolutely. And I know it's the, the most, the, the biggest cliche there is, but it's only when you are taking away something precious that, that you have like, uh-huh, that, that big uh-huh. Yeah, there, there was a poll on LinkedIn recently by one of my connections and mm -hmm. she said, if you could only have one thing, what would you want? And it was health, wealth, or wisdom. Oh. And about 75% of the people said health, because without yes. health, you, yes. the other two are meaningless. But, you know, every, every now and then someone would say something like, uh, one person said, I would want wisdom, because then I could figure out how to get my health. And it was like, mm, yeah, <laughs> and then, you know, one person said, I would want wealth, because then I could sort of buy what I needed to get in good health. And it's like, well, not necessarily. Not no. necessarily. Not and necessarily. The, the comments were really interesting. Um, but mm -hmm. what I want to know, Barbara, is where did that knowledge or that idea that you needed to have a positive mindset, where did that come from? It's part, for a part, it's part of who I am. Okay. I have always been very positive and sunny, just in oh. who, who I was. And part of it is that um, I grew up, one of my parents was um, alcohol addict and chronically depressed. And I could see how being depressed colored your entire life, but most of all, poisoned yourself. Yeah. Always thinking, you know, like always looking for things outside you to pull yourself down always blaming circumstances outside you to say, well, you know, like it's the taxes, it's the kids making noise, it's this, it made me so determined to do it different in my life. Mm -hmm. I was, okay, if you can make yourself unhappy, then you can certainly make yourself happy too. Oh, I love that. I love that. That might be the quote right, right there. Because <laughs> it is true. It's, it's true. It, it was just an observation as a child. I was the oldest of three. And from very young age, 
I think eight or nine years old, I took care of the household of my younger brother and sister. And you could say, oh, Barbara, um, it's not, you know, like now I see it as a blessing, you know, and, and, and in the meantime, uh, um, it's um, my mom. She, she is sober since a few years. I have the best of relationships and it made me who I am. It made me a very strong woman surviving all of that so I know my I can see the struggles of my mom so there's no judgment at all towards my mom there's no um I it, it that situation taught me so much and I think with the cancer the same thing I see it now as a blessing in disguise I survived but at 32 you know I I had like two shifts in my mind the first was like I have to stay positive. I want to stay positive. And the second was like, okay, I'm 32. If this adventure is over in six months, this human experience, am I happy with my legacy? And the answer was no, no. It was no. No. I had lived until that age, the life that was expected from me. Oh, gosh. I had, I had made... A lot of my choices were unconscious choices and based of what I thought I had to do to be a good person. So like everybody, it's going high school, college, marriage. I started a construction business because my parents um, had a similar uh, business and I had buried, you could say, my heart's desire. I had not listened anymore to the whispers of my soul. And I had adapted so much to the opinions of others. And that had become so important for me that Barbara, who she really was, was buried beneath all of that. And being faced so suddenly with death, I was like, no, I will not die. How, I think it's Wayne Dyer who said that. I will not die with my song still in me. Oh, God, I wish you could have met my sister. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you and I have a lot in common. I'm the oldest. Um, uh -huh. My mother's an addict. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't have any relationship with her. What you're talking about right now just speaks to me so much because I did exactly that, kind of what was expected of me, um, mm -hmm. go along to get along, which surprises yeah. a lot of people because I have <laughs> such a strong personality. But mm -hmm. in my professional life, like with coworkers and bosses, I could stand up to them. But in my personal life, mm -hmm. I very much wanted to just please people because it was easier. And, yeah. and it took me a very long time to work. I understand. It yeah. took me until, you know, even... You know, it's just, it's not something that changed, you know, like from one day to another, because then it only started. So I, I first had my year of chemotherapy, then a I year. survived. I was going to ask you about a year. a year. So even wow. now when I go, um, every year I go for a checkup. Right. And even now, um, my dermatologist would say like the miracle is there. It's like a miracle that I survived. Um, the chemo, right? Not just the cancer, and, and but the, the cancer. chemo. Yes, yeah, yes. That I, <laughs> that I survived anything. That I survived everything. But then I, I, I went then back to the construction business because, you know, you have all those investments. You have your employees. Um, it, you have the business building. You have, 
So it's not like you can just close the door and say, okay, I'm, I'm gone. I'm going to India. I'm going to do some <laughs> retreat. Yes, I'm going to do a retreat to find myself. No, I could not do that. I, I was married. I had three kids and I had a business. So I just had to pick that up again. But on the sideline, I started reading books on spirituality, psychology, human behavior, self-development. I started following um, some online courses, going to conferences, retreats. So year after year, I felt like, okay, I had a deep purpose to guide people because I had already done that my entire life. You yeah. could say I was a coach since birth. Yeah. Now, whoever is around me, I have that natural tendency to see their potential, to see their beauty, to see their light, even when they don't see it anymore. And I'm always like, whoa, in awe for what I see. So that was who I was naturally. Do total and strangers tell you their life stories? Yes. Yes, yes me too. Yes, <laughs> They do. And they don't even know why they're telling you. No, no absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, and, and giving the people like always that feeling they matter. And I think that that's, that is one of the things that I um, realized laying so long in, you know, like so many times in hospital, like, what is it? What is it? If we're gone, people remember, it's just that you make them feel like they mattered like they were, they were someone. So that became even more important for me, like human connection, serving people. From 2014, which is already 11 years later, I started coaching as a side business. Nice. And then in 2016, something happened. And you say, oh my God, all in one lifetime. Yes, <laughs> all in one lifetime. 2016, I was betrayed by two of my employees, which made me end up which huge huge debt, huge debt. And I had to close my business. So I was there 46 years old in 2016. And I had my moment in bed again, you know, like that first night in hospital when I was like, okay, I'm going to shift my mind. But then I was staring at the ceiling. And that day, we had had a call from the bank that they might take away our, our home, which is our dream. Oh. Oh my goodness. And I was like, okay, you know, like talking to God, the universe, whatever. And I was like, seriously, I survived the stage four cancer to end up here. I don't know if it's a voice or a presence or like, I got that deep realization. Something told me like, Barbara, no matter whether you become homeless or you live in your beautiful house here, you are worthy. You are valuable. And I got that sense of self-worth so deep that I was like, oh my God, that is true. Whether we have to sell everything and move in a small apartment, that doesn't matter. I am worthy anyway. I am a good person. So fortunately, we didn't have to sell our house. Um, I got quite quickly an opportunity from BMW to work with them to do business coaching. Nice. And um, well, in the beginning, it was more like ad, um, administration work. But then 
I I'm a very active person. I would say I can do this, do that. And they were like, okay, okay. After six months, I was part of the management team in a few dealerships. My children were in the teenagers years and I had some personal coaching clients. And then the ball start, started rolling. I had started a Facebook page, um, started doing Facebook lives. I think I have now on Facebook 225,000 uh, followers, people who watch my um, videos of empowerment, encouragement. Um, I'm on Instagram. And you could say I found, I found my life's purpose. It's just empowering and always with a, a message of kindness, be kind to each other. And that is really bringing more love and compassion into the world. But I feel that the world needs so desperately. What was your worst moment during that time? At the end of the chemo, after, after a year, um, I was so happy chemo was over and I wanted to go back working I had been now and then doing some office work but you know like rarely that in the first week after the chemo I had gone so far beyond my you could say my physical capabilities right. that I completely collapsed oh. and um, I could not move anymore I could not um have any light anymore I had to stay in the dark like for 24 hours and because it was so bad um, my husband called um, the oncologist so I had to be taken in urgency to the hospital and they thought they were metastases in my brain because I could it was so bad they had yes. like a a puncture how do they call that in your back when they a spinal tap yes yes a spinal tap they they were so like oh my god what's happening here and they they thought i had a, a you know like a huge um how do you say it? relapse yeah uh, oh, yeah that week was i was in so much physical pain um only to discover that it was like a huge uh, migraine. It was just my body being completely, completely exhausted. Yeah. So I stayed a week in hospital to recover. But speaking of the worst physical moment, that was the worst physical moment, especially because when I arrived, there were like eight doctors around my bed. Oh, God. <laughs> so looking at me and they started doing all those tests. And that was like feeling very like, and, and also because I was feeling so bad, I remember it was my, my father who took me in urgency to the hospital and I had to keep my head between my legs because I could really not stand anything. Yeah. And I, I just kept saying that I, I think I'm dying now, but well. <laughs> okay, well, flip side, what was your best moment? My best moment was um, after the second surgery, I was, um, I was waking up and I was in, in, in deep pain. I was in deep pain. It was the moment, the moment in my cancer when I surrendered. Because until then, I was like, I have to fight. I have to fight. Again, I had a lot of pain. <laughs> and I was laying there and I realized, okay, if this is over, I'm okay with this. And then I had, again, like that presence telling me, you are going to be fine. And it was like the, the, the room, I felt this deep, deep peace. 
and faith. From that moment on, I had faith, like, okay, I'm going to be okay. And that was um, an extraordinary moment, an extraordinary moment. It was also the moment where I um, started looking at human life in a different way. Oh, you're amazing. <laughs> uh, what is one thing that you wish you had known at the very beginning of your cancer journey? maybe that it was the beginning of something beautiful. Oh, wow. That the person that I am becoming because of being faced with that, that I think. And you know, even now I have, don't you ever have like, um, when you see how, what, how you have evolved in years, mm -hmm. I'm like excited, like I'm 50 now. Oh my God, these last 10 years, you know, like I, I you know, like it's like a blossoming flower. You, you blossom. And then I'm like, oh my God, can you imagine if I blossom like that the next 10 years also? <laughs> How amazing will that be? No, you always have your, your all, all that experience, that wisdom, those insights that you get just by being very aware in life, just by, by first of all, savoring life enjoying life yeah i have very well understood that life is not a ladder to be climbed so many people think okay now i'm no like i have so much money on my bank account this type of house this type of title so in yeah. 10 years i want to climb and i want to climb and a bigger house and a bigger and just realizing that is that's like kind of lie we have been told. Life is a dance. And of course, we can, we can learn to dance. We can learn to maybe master the dance a little better. Right. But it's a dance to be enjoyed, to be savored every day. I can tell you, I celebrate a lot more since Good I had cancer. Sunday mornings, you know, like simple things. We had last Sunday, Valentine's, my three kids are young adults now. They're still living um, home. The two girls are in college and then uh, home. And I told them Valentine's morning from 9 a.m. till noon, everybody keeps that in his agenda free. And we had a huge brunch. Um, and it was so and I had a little bottle with a love message uh, in it for all of <laughs> so them. Sweet. So just expressing my love and gratitude as much as I can. Oh, that's so beautiful. Um, oh, no, I don't know who said this. So I'm kind of mangle this quote, but I but I love it. It was something like, um, instead of getting out of the thunderstorm, learn how to dance in the rain. Yes. yes and, absolutely. And, and it's so true. It, it really it, so true. Yeah. Um, I, I recently listened to a book. I, I, I love books and I love audiobooks too. Scott Kelly, who was one of the astronauts being one year in the ISS station. Um, and you know what he missed most? Rain. Feeling the feeling of drops uh, on your skin because the, they don't have showers in, in, in you know, like in, right. uh, in space. Um and I was like, oh, my God. And so many people complain, like, oh, I'm going to be wet. Oh, I hate the rain. And then when you are in space, the thing you want is oh, to yeah. just drops on your, the, the feeling of, of, of the drop 
of rain on your face. So it's all about our attitude, how we look at things. My sister hated baths, hated them. And from the day she was diagnosed, she never mm -hmm. took a shower again. She wasn't mm -hmm. allowed to take a shower because she had this huge port in her chest. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we still had to put it put in a Ziploc bag and tape it down before she could take a bath every night. But that was something she missed. Yes. That's something that we all take for granted. She missed taking a shower. Yes. She missed having time to herself because I always had to help her prep for a bath. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, she 15, she didn't want yes. my help. <laughs> she, she didn't want me in there. Um, yes. So I, you know, I didn't start with this. I maybe should have. We should have mentioned that you are in Belgium. Yes. <laughs> so um, I love to ask this question. And I've, I've had the good fortune to interview several people now from other countries. And so um, it's, it's so interesting because, of course, your healthcare system mm -hmm. is different. But if you could only change one thing in the healthcare system in Belgium, mm -hmm. what would it be and why? I know they do it now, but they didn't do it 18 years ago. It was raising the awareness on sun care. Oh. And because I, you know, now I can never go in the sun. It, for me, it's too, um, too dangerous. So I can put on a sunblock, but like being in the sun uh, is, is I, I don't know. But just if I, I was born in 1970. So I, um, we grew up at the beach. We lived near the beach. So as too. a child, we, my skin was never protected because yeah. it just didn't, you know, in the 70s, everybody yeah. was tanned and the more yeah. tanned you were, the better. But as a kid, I played outside right. and I have, you know, like my, my I have a very, uh, very pale skin. Mm -hmm. So if then <laughs> people would have known the danger of um, being tanned and in the sun, but our health care system in Belgium is just magnificent. Mm -hmm. If I would have been living in the States, it would have costed me millions. Oh, and, I'm sure. And it hasn't cost me um, a penny because we are so, everybody is so well protected here. And I'm very grateful to be living in Europe where healthcare is, otherwise I would still be working to pay back. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Are you from Belgium? Yes, yeah. I am Belgium. Are you ready for these Thriver yeah. rapid fire questions? Yes. Yes. Ready to have some fun? Yes. Okay, I can't wait to hear your answers. Yes. Beach, desert or mountains? Mountains. Beach Boys, Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beach Boys. What is one word that best describes you? love before you die what is the last song you want to hear can you feel it from the jackson five <laughs> that's a fun song the last meal you want to eat a chocolate absolutely the last person or people you want to see well my husband and kids and the last words you will speak I love you. And aside from Cancer U, what is one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And this is a great opportunity. I want you to talk a little bit about what you do. <laughs> okay. Um, I think I'm in the right place to guide people who go through um, 
whether they go through their cancer story, whether it's post that they have difficulty to reintegrate in normal life, to to become, you know, like you you do never come out as the same person as you were before. That is really one of those things in life you have before and after. It's like with people who, lo who lose someone at an early age, there is a before and there's an after. With cancer, there is a before and there's an after. And they have a deep understanding of the impact on someone's life, on someone's life. But because of, you could say, my uh, abundant positive energy, <laughs> my love and deep understanding, I'm, I think I'm, well, very well, well placed to guide people. I especially, most people who reach out to me are mostly business owners, entrepreneurs, because I have that entrepreneurial side too, which can be very specific because you have, you, you cannot, you know, like if you have a business and you have cancer, it's not like the business vanishes. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's still there. So um, those are the people who reach out most easily to me because of my experience in business life, uh, cancer resilience. I'm very, whatever you could say, challenge people are thrown at. I can, I have been thrown <laughs> I have been thrown a lot of challenges in my face. And sometimes I compare life with the sea. Um, most people want a calm sea all of the time. We're all in our boat steering and everybody wants that calm sea and be relaxed, doing nothing in the calm sea. But I have learned that those storm, storms make us the most skilled captain to go through the sea of life. Oh, and that's I a beautiful analogy. And I have learned that I have become quite a skilled captain. <laughs> and now I'm even like, okay, if the storm is coming, I can deal with that. Um, so I, I know that in every storm, there is always a seed of um, a blessing, an opportunity for growth. That there is something in there that will make you a better person. How can people find you? They want to work with you. I think the easiest thing is through LinkedIn. Okay, through LinkedIn. And you yes. mentioned earlier a Facebook page, right? I have a Facebook page, yes, where there it's more like motivational videos, motivational quotes. On LinkedIn, you will see motivational videos too. Uh, posts, Are they under uh, your name? I want to make sure you put in the yes. notes. Okay, yes. all right, wonderful. All right, we will put Under that mind. in the notes. Um, okay. I, oh, Thank you so much. I just, uh, I just want to like squeeze you through the camera. Um, thank you, Barbara, so much for sharing your story. It was such an honor to be here, Andrea. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.